Thank you. Well done on finding Habakkuk in your Bible, uh, particularly if you've got a paper Bible. It's, you know, sandwiched in there in between uh, the well-known books of Nahum and Zephaniah. Uh, so it's a bit of a challenge. So. Thanks, Fred. Uh, While you're doing that, so the series title that we've got for these two weeks was Habakkuk, really. And I love that there's a bit of a double entendre, right? So, partly, like, really? We're spending two weeks in Habakkuk? (laughs) Really? Habakkuk? But I also think that that's not a bad summary of the book. So, if you, you know, this week and next week, I'm going to give you my short summary of the book of Habakkuk. Are you ready? It goes something like this Really? 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 There you go. That's Habakkuk. We're done. Let's go have some coffee. But it genuinely is this this dialogue between the prophet and God as he says, Really, God? And God says, Yeah, really. Really? Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, really. And Habakkuk at the end comes to a point of trust and saying, Wow, really? So I hope that what might seem like an obscure book to us as we start it today and as we uh, look into next week might be one that leads us to that place of saying, really, wow, this is really amazing, this is really encouraging, this is really hopeful, this is really a place that we can trust God in. But we're going to get there, as Habakkuk does, through some pretty tricky questions and responses, through some pretty challenging realities. And so I wanted to start this morning with a question for you. If you had to give me a one-word answer to this question that's going to be up on the screen... One word that sums up for you right now, right here and right now, what do you see when you look around at what is going on at the world at the moment? What do you see when you look at the world right now? Anyone? Genuine question. Confusion? Conflict? Grief? Chaos? Sorry, motorbike, right at the wrong time. What was that? Pain? Absolutely. Disorder? Injustice? It's pretty, sorry, disillusionment. That's a great word, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was going to be better than this. Anything else? Hope. Oh, good. I was going to say it's a pretty bleak list, isn't it? You do see some signs of hope. Excellent. I'm not sure many people would have that as their one word for the world at the moment, but I'm I'm glad that we got there after a few. We find ourselves in a situation right here and right now that is not that different to where Habakkuk found himself. Looking around at a world and going, really? Really? This is where we're at. And if you live life with a philosophy that the world is always getting better, that people are always improving, that the history of the world is kind of this sweep from darkness to light, then I feel like you would be pretty disillusioned at the moment. Because I don't know about you, but it feels like we've gone backwards. I think that we have to wrestle with the fact that the world is not on a simple linear journey from, you know, darkness and ancient uncivilised times to kind of enlightenment and rightness and good but it's actually a broken confused chaotic dark place at all times throughout history 
I wrote my own list this week when I was thinking about what I look at the world. It's pretty similar to yours. I said brokenness, rebellion, decay, war, exploitation, violence, sickness, injustice, sabotage, greed, manipulation, selfishness. Again, pretty bleak list of what's going on at the world in the moment. It's actually true throughout history if we open our eyes and pay attention to what we see in our world. While there are always signs of beauty and hope and we will get there and can I just say, you really need to come back next week because Habakkuk is a package deal and we're splitting it over two weeks. So, <laughs> really need to hang on to that. Um, but in the midst of, you know, the goodness and the joy and the beauty and hope, there is an awful lot of darkness and brokenness. And, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by that because the story of the scriptures, the narrative of the Bible is not the world starts in a dark place and one day it will be light. It is the world starts in a place of beauty and joy and light and wonder and it is broken by humanity's rebellion and self-sabotage, destruction and decay and God is at work even in the midst of that to one day bring us to a place of hope and light. It might seem like the same narrative but it's actually quite different and so the church, the people of God actually should be the least surprised people in the world when we look around and say, really? Really, that's where we're at. And so we're going to spend two weeks with this prophet from around 2,650 years ago. And a lot of people might think that someone from 2,650 years ago has nothing to say to us today. But we read his words and we go, wow, the world hasn't changed that much. How might the questions that he asks God shape our responses today? What might God have for us through his word today from this prophet who enters into this dialogue of questioning God? Now, I want to say up front, and I know we've talked about this in this church before, but questioning God is not the same as doubting God. And actually doubting God is not in and of itself you know, an act of disobeying God. What prophets like Habakkuk show us is that part of faith, is wrestling with God and asking the hard questions and even telling God when we do doubt, where are you? Really? Is that what's going on? I love the lament psalms of the book of Psalms and the prophets like Habakkuk who give us permission to say being in relationship with God isn't about pretending that the world looks better than it is and putting on a happy face. It's actually about genuinely engaging in faith and saying, God, what is going on? Because what I see doesn't seem to match up with what I know of your heart and your plan and your purpose. If you read the Bible, you'll find a whole heap of people asking God tough questions, not just Habakkuk. So like, you know, Abraham and Sarah who are getting really old and have no children are saying, God, aren't you going to do what you promised you would do? Really? Or Job who has everything taken away from him says, God, are you punishing me? Really? Or Jeremiah who is rejected by his friends and family and ridiculed and laughed at and says, "Why, why was I even born? really or the disciples who have Jesus present with them are facing a life-threatening storm and he's asleep don't you even care if we drown Jesus really it's a very common refrain throughout the scriptures really and God hears and responds to his people and says really What might that look like in Habakkuk and for us today? So when I unpack this first chapter and a half of Habakkuk, uh, using a framework that we actually use quite a bit at Richmond, which is (laughs) Q&R. 
Question and response, because that's actually how the book of Habakkuk works. Habakkuk questions God and God responds. Note, I didn't say answer. <laughs> because sometimes, God does answer, but sometimes we hear the word answer or answer, if you grew up on the East Coast like me, and uh, we think that it means, you know, you make a request and then you are given exactly what you asked for, and that's an answer. Or, you know, you ask a question and someone provides for you a neat, tied up in a neat bow, kind of the resolution, and then you're done with the question and never have to come back to it. That's kind of how maths works, right? <laughs> Questions and answers? No, not, not, okay, that's how primary school maths works. Um, <laughs> yes. But, you know, it's not how the world works. It's not how relationships work, and it's certainly not how faith works. We can question God, and God promises to respond. But we might be left with more questions, as Habakkuk is, out of those responses. And so we continue to question and we continue to dialogue and we continue to be in relationship and exercise this amazing thing that the scriptures call faith as we trust in God even in the midst of our questions. So I'm going to look this morning at three questions that Habakkuk asks of God and then three responses that God makes to those questions. So the first question is one that I think a lot of people still ask today, and it's pretty much this. Why doesn't God step in? Why doesn't God step in? Why do bad things happen? Why are there wars and God isn't putting an end to them? Why are people dying and God isn't stopping those who are killing them? Why doesn't God step in? The world is a messed up, broken, chaotic, confused, violent place. Why, God, don't you step in? As I said, it's a really common question. Why do bad things happen? How long will this last? And when will God bring it to an end? Why questions of God are always going to be difficult to answer. But God does respond. And we'll get to his respond, Ron's response a little bit later. But for Habakkuk, It's actually sitting in the question itself, spending time wrestling with that, that leads his story forward. Why doesn't God step in is actually a valid prayer. Where are you, God? How long, O Lord? Is the cry of many of the psalmists. It's a cry of worship because it's a cry of longing. It's a cry of faith that says, God, I want you to step in. God, I believe that you have something to offer here. If you didn't have faith that God could do something or has a heart that would do the right thing, why would you ask God to step in? So it's actually an act of faith to ask God why he doesn't step in. Does that make any sense? Yeah? It's, it's not simple faith. It's not a, a simple exchange of, you know, do what I ask. Okay, here you've got what you wanted. We're done. It's much more complicated than that. But it is an act of faith to sit in this question and ask God and express the deep longing and brokenness that we find ourselves in with a hopefulness that God actually has something to offer. Why don't you step in, God? Is a, is a statement, or it's not a statement, it's a question. It's a question of trust and of faith. Sometimes I think the church, Christians throughout history and maybe even today, have suggested to people that we shouldn't ask that. And have tried to give kind of rational 
once and for all answers to the question of why bad things happen in the world. And I could try and do that today. I could give you a, a sort of a logical explanation. Some people call it a theodicy, a kind of explanation of why God made the world the way that he did make the world uh, and how that is leading towards his plan and his purposes. And there's truth in that, but it's not where Habakkuk sits. It's not where the psalmist sit because he's not actually looking for a logical, rational understanding of how the word, world works. He's crying out because of the pain and the brokenness he sees. And those are actually two different questions, I believe. Again, I think the book of Job speaks really powerfully into this. haven't got time to look at the book of Job while we're looking at Habakkuk. But, you know, when Job is sitting there having lost everything in complete pain and brokenness, his friends come along and try to explain it. It's not actually very helpful. (laughs) It's not what he needs. He actually needs to sit in his questions with God because God meets him in that pain and brokenness. Why doesn't God step in? Let me read Habakkuk again, verses 1 to 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Uh, Habakkuk, have you been watching the news this week? Because it sounds like you wrote that just today. (laughs) Because you looked at what's happening in Myanmar and Afghanistan and Israel and Yemen. And you said, God, violence is happening. Why are you not saving people? Injustice is going on. Wrongdoing is being tolerated. Destruction, conflict, strife abounds. Habakkuk in his day was talking about a particular situation. It's about 6th century BC in Israel. And the people have drifted far, far away from the promises that they'd made to serve and follow God and keep his commandments. And so he is seeing in his daily experience people living in poverty, people starving, people not having enough to feed their children, while others... Are ripping them off, corrupt, taking advantage of them, exploiting them. Nothing has changed that much in the last 2,650 years. And so Habakkuk cries out, why don't you step in, God? That's question one. As I said, I, I'm a bit nervous about how I'm doing this, but I decided to do all the questions and then all the responses. So let's go to question two. We've got question one. We're going to sit with that, not respond yet, not answer. Question two is actually how can God work that way? Again, I think it is a common question, maybe not exactly asked today how Habakkuk asked it. But basically when we see things like, well, some prayers seem to be answered, some people get healed but not others, or some people seem to get looked after but others are taken advantage of. Like, God, how how is that fair? How can you work that way? (laughs) Why isn't it equal for everybody? Why are you able to, you know, allow that to happen but not that? It's kind of us, I guess, beginning to play God ourselves and saying, God, why, why aren't you doing it the way that I want you to do it? Or why are you doing it that way? Or how can you use those people for your purposes? Those are the kind of questions that are captured in Habakkuk's second question. So we jump down to verse 12 of chapter 1 of Habakkuk. And can I just say, as Nate was reading this, I thought, it's one of those cases where I wish that the Bible was written 
with like bold and underline and tone and capturing some more of the emotion in it, right? Because it's really hard to read white words on a black page and know what's exactly going on. I think there's a couple of question marks that should be in, in here or at least inflections at the end of sentences like a good Australian where you go up and you're asking a question. And I also think there needs to be some words that are underlined in bold. Because if you read verse 12, Habakkuk says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, you will never die. Right? Okay, that's who God is. But then he says this, you, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. <laughs> there needs an emphasis on the them and a question mark rising inflection on the end of judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. There is so much emotion in what Habakkuk is asking here. He's looking at the world and saying, okay, God, you're not silent. You're actually active. You're doing some things. But that, through them? Like that? Really? We're back to really again. His big issue for Habakkuk in his situation is that God would use evil people to bring about his just purposes. That's Habakkuk's issue. That might be our issue today or ours might be slightly different. Um, But he's basically saying, God, you're going to use those guys, and then he goes on to describe them in the rest of what Nate read, those wicked, evil people who are actually making the world a worse place And you're going to be at work through them to try and bring good? Really? How can you work that way, God? Why doesn't God step in? And if he does step in, how can he work that way? But then Habakkuk actually has, I believe, a third question. I'm going out a little bit more of a limb here because I actually think most people would say that Habakkuk has two key complaints in the book and that's in fact how the NIV has structured this whole chapter. Habakkuk's complaint, God's answer. Habakkuk's second complaint, God's second answer. But I think hidden in the midst there is a third question. And I wonder if it's this question, which maybe isn't framed as a question, which actually gets to the heart of what this is all about. Let me read Habakkuk 2 verse 1. I will stand at my watch... And station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. I think Habakkuk's third question is actually this Will God answer me? Is God listening? Does God care? Will God answer me? And that's a much more personal question than the first two, isn't it? The first two are really great questions of wrestling with how the world works and what we see happening around us. But the third brings it right home to that place of faith again. Is God actually listening to me? Does God actually care about me? And I I don't think, I'm not trying to say that Habakkuk is being sort of selfish in this. It's okay, all these other people out there, why are they dying, God? But really it's all about me, whether you're hearing my prayers. It's, it's in some ways the same question because Habakkuk knows he could be the person out there suffering the chaos and the war and the violence. It's really a question of, does God care? Will God answer me? Perhaps the deepest question of our hearts that's the psalmist expressed sometimes in this way, God, are you even there? when it feels like your prayers are just bouncing off the walls. God, are you even there? So, three questions. Why doesn't God step in? How can God work that way? And will God answer me? Anyone here ever asked any one of those questions? 
No? Nobody? Okay, well, this book obviously has nothing to say to us today. I would hope that all of us have asked at least one. (laughs) Maybe many of us have asked all three at some point in time. So what does the book of Habakkuk have to say to us today? We can relate to him. We can understand where he's coming from. We can see that our world isn't that much different to his. How does it help us respond and exercise our own faith to see what God does in Habakkuk's day? I want to take the responses that God gives in opposite order to the questions that Habakkuk has asked. Because the deepest heart question that sits at the centre, I think, is the first one that needs answering and is, in fact, the point of the whole book. God's response to the question, will you answer me, is not silence. The the third response from God in this book is that God is not silent. Again, it's almost hidden in the way that the uh, scriptures, the English translation sets it out. There's a heading right in the middle of the verse there between verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 2. Where Habakkuk says, I will stand on the ramparts. I'm going to station myself. I'm going to wait. I'm basically going to go out and stand outside on the city walls and do nothing and see if God shows up. And then the Lord replied. So the very next verse. Probably didn't happen that quickly for Habakkuk, the way that he's phrased it. But the response that we're given, as I said, I don't think it's an answer, but a response is that God is not silent. God is not silent. Hearing God maybe is harder sometimes when there's so much chaos going on in the world. And does Habakkuk need to, to take himself out to that quiet place? I imagine, I don't think it says in the middle of the night, but the idea of standing on the ramparts is probably uh, picking up on other things that are said in the Old Testament about uh, the guards who watch over the city by night. The ramparts is where they're stationed. And so I have in my mind this imagination, this picture of Habakkuk kind of going out in darkness when it's very still and very quiet and standing like a guard over the city. But rather than looking to see if enemies are coming, he's looking to see if God is going to speak. And maybe he's there all night. Maybe he's there for a few weeks. But the very next verse of the book says, Then the Lord replied. God replies and responds to Habakkuk's questions. God allows himself to enter into this dialogue. God is not silent. But even more than that, the verse goes on. God's reply is, write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Now, again, we've got to understand a little bit about ancient world of, of what's going on here. But basically, tablets, you know, made of stone because they didn't have writing paper and pens readily available. <laughs> but heralds, those are the people who take a message and make it known to other people. Think like a really early version of Facebook, Twitter, you know, social media, email, right? But it's got to be done by foot. So they've got to take the stone tablets with what God says and they've got to run around <laughs> and tell everybody what he's said. So what God is saying here is not just that he is not silent, but that his response is not just for Habakkuk, but is to be shared with everybody. That God is actually not silent to anyone. That's the big claim, I think, at the heart of this first part of the book of Habakkuk. That God speaks into the chaos and brokenness of our world to anyone who will listen. 
God is not silent. Now, I feel really kind of nervous. I often do this when I'm preaching, I think, feel really nervous saying that because who am I to promise some person sitting in the midst of a war zone today that God's going to speak to them? Well, I'm not promising it. (laughs) But it's the truth of the scripture. That is the claim of the Bible that we have a God who is not silent, who is not absent, who is not unaware of all that the brokenness that is happening in our world and that any individual person in any one of those places that we've seen on the news this week, God is there. God is speaking. God is revealing himself and making himself known. God replies and his words are for everyone. Hopefully this is not news to you. It's the message of Jesus, right? God enters into our world and speaks once and for all in the person of Jesus. And that is the good news that we as his people are encouraged and commissioned to share with the whole world. This is like a, an echo, a, a resounding, you know, a reverberation of that found thousand years before Jesus. That God is not silent and that God wants to make himself known to every single person in every single situation is the heart of his response. But there are two more responses from God. When God replies and gives these words to be recorded and shared, he does have a message for Habakkuk in his day and his time that I think may speak into our day and our time too. And so the second response from God is this. God's justice will come. God's justice will come. Chapter 2 goes on. For the revelation, that which is to be written down and spread by the herald so everyone can hear it, the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So the idea here is that what God is saying is about a promise. Something to look forward to, something to anticipate, something to be confident and sure of. That will certainly happen, that you can rely upon, that you can wait for. And what is it? This is where Habakkuk speaks like an Old Testament prophet. And then you think, could you just be a little bit more clear? But we'll try and unpack it. In verse 4, he says, See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faith or by his faithfulness, depending on the English translation there. And then he goes on and kind of, again, uh, describes all the terrible things that are going on in the world. But it's that verse 4 that's actually their really key verse to understanding Habakkuk. Um, and it's the verse that Paul quotes in the book of Romans, which becomes the verse that Martin Luther in the 16th century has a big revelation about how the church should be and actually kind of leads to the whole development of Protestant church. So there's a verse in Habakkuk that's like really obscure and hard to understand that's actually foundational <laughs> to our understanding of the good news of Jesus. But it's almost hidden in this kind of prophet speak that Habakkuk wraps around it. But he's basically saying this. There are terrible things happening. There is an enemy and he is rampaging. And it's not a he, it's like it's a whole army, but, you know, personalised. They are rampaging through the world. They're destroying things. They're doing, you know, injustice and evil and wickedness and corruption and chaos. But the righteous person will live by faith. Not by goodness, good works, not by withstanding evil, not by figuring out the answers to it, not by explaining 
Not by logic, not by rationality. I'm trying to think of all the other things. Not by, but by faith. It's like Paul was reading Habakkuk one day, Paul in the New Testament, and a light bulb went in when he went on when he saw that. That's the heart of the gospel, he said. That's actually the truth, the good news, captured in one little verse hidden in the middle of this obscure ancient prophet. That for all the injustice and wickedness and unfairness of the world, God is at work not through righteousness and goodness and self-righteousness and figuring it out and coming with solutions and, I don't know, peace accords and, you know, uh, ceasefires and, and all good as those things might be. God is at work through faith. It is in trusting God that we will see justice come. Again, I feel nervous saying that. It'd be a lot easier if the answer was not if you just do A, B, C and D. That will put an end to all the troubles in the world and you can get on with life and everything will be perfect. But the answer the scriptures give is trust God. Have faith because God's justice will come. This is a bit, maybe a little bit of a, a um, spoiler alert for next week, but that's where the rest of the book goes. Okay, well, what does that look like? How do you do that? How do you live in the midst of such a broken world and, you know, want to fix it and even be participate in trying to fix it and yet live in faith and hope that actually the answer will come from God, not from you? That's the second half of the book. So that's where we'll go next week. But the response that God gives here that is very clear is that his justice will come if you trust and have faith. It's not all on you to fix the brokenness of the world. You can participate in what God is doing. And this is you know, very clear when uh, Jesus comes and reveals this. And maybe this would be an easier message to preach from the Gospels rather than from Habakkuk. Because <laughs> Jesus is probably a bit more upfront and less obscure in how he talks about this. You can participate in what God is doing. But in the end, you are waiting and longing for him to bring about his justice. And we sang that beautiful song this morning we started with. Jesus, you are justice. Every heart is longing. Faith is trusting, believing and living in the knowledge that God's justice will come. So then we just sit back, kick back and relax, nothing to do. We're just waiting for the day when God will enter in and make all things right. Yes and no. (laughs) There's one more response that God gives and somehow we have to hold these truths in tension. That God is the one who will bring justice and so we pray and long and wait and hope for it. And yet, God's first response to Habakkuk is this, that I am at work in unexpected ways. So I want to take you back now to chapter 1. I hope this jumping around isn't confusing you too much. It's already a confusing book. Uh, But Habakkuk's first question, why doesn't God step in? Actually gets a very direct response. God says... I am going to step in. You're just not going to believe it when you see it. You're probably going to say something like, really? (laughs) Habakkuk 1 verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days. I am going to do something in your days. You would not believe it even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, God says, that ruthless and tempestuous people. I'm going to work through them. The story of Habakkuk, if you haven't picked it up by now, is basically Habakkuk says, God, why don't you step in? And God says, I am going to step in. I'm going to do this. And Habakkuk says, no, 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 that's not what I was looking for. Not them. You can't work that way. And so then that leads on. But if we go back, having 
understood that the answer is God himself as he is not silent, that we are waiting for his justice to come once and for all, then reading this first response that God gives in that light, in light of those two other responses, hence why I went backwards, it does say that God is active now as well. So God is not silent. He is working on his big plan to make all things right one day and bring justice once and for all. And he is at work now. You're just probably not going to believe it when you see it. That's the answer that Habakkuk gets. That even as he waits for the unfolding revelation, even as he waits for the once and for all coming of God's justice, God is already at work. So Habakkuk is not solely a future-focused book, but it's actually a book that gives Habakkuk confidence that something is happening right here and right now. Even though he can't quite see it or understand it or get his mind around it or comprehend it, God is at work in unexpected ways right now and he can actually be a part of that. What does that say to us today? That as we long for God and recognise that he is not silent, as we wait expectantly for him to one day set all things right and we praise him and hope for and long for the day of Jesus' return, what does it mean to trust that God is at work today around our world in the brokenness and the pain and the chaos and confusion in ways that maybe just like Habakkuk we would not believe even if we were told? This is again where I feel really gets really risky because there are lots of people who will tell you, oh, it's this way. You know, things that are going on. I, this is, I don't know if I should say this, but I got some emails this week for some people from lots of different people. My email address is, you know, public and so I get emails from, you know, the kind of people. Uh, and I got some emails about what's going on in the Middle East and they were like almost entirely opposite. It's like, I have had a prophecy from the Lord that this is the truth of what's happening in Israel and Palestine. And then like literally two days later, I get another email saying, God is at work in this way. And it's like completely the opposite. Right? And so it's really risky and dangerous for me now to say, God is at work there. Because which one of those is true? Well, probably not quite either. <laughs> because I don't think I would believe it even if I saw it. I think we're in danger when we look at a specific situation in the world and we're not a prophet like Habakkuk and we say, here's what's happening. That's what God is doing. That's how it works. Don't hear that as the answer in ha- that Habakkuk is given. And yet, I still want to say God is at work in those places. And that somehow, maybe even through what I think is unjust, evil, wicked people, maybe even through people who I think haven't quite got it right, don't have the compassion and empathy, don't stand on the right positions that I would take, somehow God is at work in unexpected ways even today. I trust that because the Bible teaches it and I'm encouraged because I see it in practice. And I'll finish with this. Um, Nate mentioned some of our brothers and sisters from Myanmar who are part um, of our Baptist movement and I had the privilege um, last month in October of going uh, with some of them to meet with our Australian politicians to, to talk about what's happening in Myanmar and to ask for them to respond and step in. Uh, And it was kind of, it was a privilege and it was also so humbling to hear them share their personal stories. Uh, There was one man that was was in my group, so I heard his story seven times 
in two days, he shared his story over and over and over again and it's painful to hear the first time. <laughs> it's heartbreaking to hear it over and over and over again. And yet, in the last month since we've come back, they are so encouraged <laughs> by how some of the things we were able to ask that are really quite specific uh, about what, you know, what's happening at a geopolitical level and how that plays out for their families on the ground are actually working out in practice. I'm like, really? Like, like that made a difference? Like, us asking our government to, you know, to talk to the Indian government about the weapons that are being transported over one particular border and the visas that are, exit visas that are not being given to one particular group and which group, get this, this is how practical it was, like, which group has access to the online platform to apply for Australian refugee status and which group doesn't have access to the online platform and has to put in paper forms? Like, us talking about that stuff actually made a difference? I don't actually put that down to us, I put that down to God being at work, right? That there are ways that God is at work and I don't understand them all and maybe I don't need to understand them all. But I need to trust that God is at work and therefore I can participate in what God is doing without having to solve it all, without having to fix it all. So, it's a very contemporary, relevant book, I think, Habakkuk. But it is, I understand, a very confronting and challenging book and particularly this first half of it. And so I want to give you a couple of minutes this morning to try and somehow see where this resonates for you. You might be thinking globally because I think a lot of us are at the moment and this book speaks so obviously into that. But you might also be thinking more personally. It might be that there are tough situations in your own life and questions you have about why God isn't stepping in or how he is working or whether he is even listening to you. And so I want to ask you to take a couple of minutes with one or two people around you and I've got two questions for you. The first one is this, what are your questions for God today? If you put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes, what are the questions that you want to ask God today? Maybe they're the same as his, maybe they're slightly different, maybe they bounce off his. And then make sure you get to the second one. How will you seek to hear God respond this week? Not answer them, not fix them, not wrap it all up in a nice neat bow. But how might you seek to hear God respond to those questions this week? And then we're going to pray and we're going to trust, because this is a book all about faith, that when we come back together next week, we will actually have heard God because God is not silent. So take a couple of minutes and talk to someone next to you. Let me just pray for us, even as we keep talking. Um, God, as people of faith people who are committed to following King Jesus and as people who live in this world and look around at what's going on, we have questions. We have lots of questions. Some of them are the same questions as Habakkuk. God, why don't you step in? What are you doing? Are you even listening? Some of them are are more personal questions about specific things in our lives, in our community, in our world that really break our hearts and challenge us. So we want to bring those questions to you right now. You've heard them. You've heard us name them out loud. And we have just sat 
with your word which teaches us that you respond, that you reply, God, that you are not silent, that you are working to bring justice and to make all the things right and that you are at work in our world and in our lives even today in unexpected ways. And so I want to pray that for each of us we might find that space, that practice, that person to talk to, whatever it is this week, that way of opening our ears and our hearts to you speaking. God, we want to boldly pray that when we come back together this time next week, we might be able to share how we have heard you respond, how you have not been silent, how you have been pointing us towards your justice and how you have been surprising us with the ways that you are at work even now. We hold that prayer before you, we trust you and we look forward to what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.